Productions, live from Savona Church in Port St. Lucie. Here are your hosts, Mike Schmidt and Gary Jones. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning, and welcome to We Are Just Christians. Really glad you tuned into the show today, as always, and we'll be on the air until 10 o'clock Eastern time here in uh, Port St. Lucie on WPSL. This is a live call-in show, and in just a moment, I'm going to give you the numbers and way to reach us. My name is Mike Schmidt, as you just heard. I'm one of the elders and the preacher here at the Church of Christ. How you doing, Gary? Gary's the other other host. and what I'm, I'm doing well this morning, Mike. We're bright and cheery, as they said. At the yeah, yeah, yeah. We got accused of being bright and cheery, Gary did this morning, and I'm not sure how that works. But in any event, <laughs> if you saw us, we probably don't look very bright and cheery. But any of it, we're, we're glad we can be here to talk about spiritual things with you. This is a live call-in show, as you know, and I, I believe that most people are interested in spiritual things, whatever they may call it. They may not call it religion, may call it spiritual, may not even call it that, but we all have our concerns about things that are bigger than physical or physical appetites and physical world around us. And so we uh, we plot on to trying to talk about the Bible because we think that the scriptures, the Bible, has the actual answer to these things. I know it's an old book or a collection of books, but it has the answer that we can depend on. That's the premise of this show. And so we're trying to get back to being just a Christian as they were in the first century when uh, when the gospel was new and, and away from human traditions and, and human wisdom that doesn't really take us where we need to be. That's what the show's about, being just a Christian. So you can lay aside all the other things that you hear and simply rely upon the New Testament, the scriptures, to teach you what you need to know. Let me give you the numbers, and then we'll talk about these things some more. You can reach We Are Just Christians live this morning at 772-340-1590. That's the number. And uh, Gary and I will be glad to talk with you about whatever is on your mind today. 772-340-1590. We're going to give you the last word. We're not here to argue with you. Even if we disagree, we'll state our reasons and you can state yours and we'll give you a chance then to to have the last say about that. We're not here to dominate anybody or anything like that. Take advantage of you just to, you know, get a lively show. That ha- We have no interest in that. But uh, that's how you reach us, 772-340-1590. If you'd like to to text the show, some people are more comfortable or able to text uh, on Sunday mornings. You can text the show by two numbers. My number, Mike's number is 772-260-6120, 772-260-6120. And Gary's number, 772-260-6220. 772-260-6220. And you can reach us by text during the show, and we'll do our best to, to respond to that. Or you can text us during the week, as sometimes people do, and we'll be glad to respond. If you if we mention something on the air that you'd like to receive, so you just text us, let us know, or email us. You can email us at, at justchristians at att.net, justchristians at att.net. So that's how you get a hold of us. There are other ways to listen to the show, which I probably should mention. I don't want to be too long this morning before we get into some, into the meat of the show, but uh, there's other ways to listen to the show besides live on AM radio. That's one way. That's 1590 WPSL. But you can also listen on TuneIn Radio, the TuneIn Radio app, or any Alexa devices or Google devices by going to WPSL. Um, uh, 1590 on those apps, WPSL 1590. You can also just go to WPSL.com. There's a listen live button right there. Anybody, anywhere in the world on Sunday morning, you can go there. On the internet. On the internet. Just go there on your phone or on your computer. And so can your friends on WPSL.com. Click the little button that says listen live and it'll take you to a player and you can listen to the show. In fact, that's what I did. Last week, when I was in Alabama during the time of the show, uh, just to see how things were, uh, I I went on the internet, clicked on that little listen live button. I was able to listen to the what well, was the recording that we did for last week, if you heard that. But I was able to listen from Alabama uh, to that uh, to the show. I've done that many uh, several times. So that's another way to get the material as well as our podcast, which is at wearejustchristians.com. We are just Christians. 
com. And boy, we have a lot of shows, Gary, for over 10 <laughs> years on every subject oh, yeah. you can think of. On that website, we are just Christians.com. There's a little button at the top of the first page there, listen to the radio show, and it has all the recordings uh, for the show uh, and so forth. So anyway, that's how you get a hold of us, 772-340-1590. Well, Gary, we have a caller this morning uh, on the line. Uh, are you there, Jerry? Uh, good morning, Mike. Good, good, good morning, Gary. I was wondering about the term use, uh, M-U-S-E, uh, lowercase m. Uh, I understand it means uh, uh, to meditate. It means to meditate, I think, uh, deep thinking. But with the uppercase M, with the uh, capital M, uh, it says one of the nine goddesses of literature and science. And so the term is muse, uh, M-U-S-E, and I, I understand it's a Greek derivation. And uh, I'd just like to uh, listen off, L. Mike, if that'd be okay. Okay. Yeah, so that's it. I, you hear this word um, every once in a while about being a, something being a muse. Muse, and um, it's generally used today. It's not. It's not usually. I don't know how to say this. It's. I think it is used in a mythological context sometimes. But they were goddesses, nine goddesses who symbolized what we would call arts and sciences, and they were the muse of. And so, what it used today more commonly, Jerry, is in a more offhanded way that if somebody is the inspiration for an artist's work, uh, they become their muse. So if, you, if you've ever seen the movie Xanadu, it's a perfect Hollywood. Xanadu, I've never seen that. It, it's uh, if you like uh, uh, Olivia Newton, John songs, then watch the movie. It's oh. pretty good. Now we know why Gary watched the movie. Yeah. But Olivia Newton, John. Well, I like her music. Muse, so. Yeah, I do. And it's, it's, um, it is an inspiration. So you can look at some of, some of the artists, famous artists down through time, had a particular model or even a friend who gave them inspiration who didn't have quite the technical ability or other ability, musical or otherwise, as the artist, but they served as an inspiration for them. A lot of people would tell you that Yoko Ono was John Lennon's muse later in his career. Yeah, Holly, Hollywood loves that definition of it. And, and they've used it in a lot of movies, but yeah. what the I only one that Paul and cocaine are often the muse. Use, yeah, of right. Use, but and that and it and it's used that way. Now they re, it's referring back to these goddesses who are supposed to the inspiration. For this. See, it, that's the misunderstanding about paganism. Uh, paganism is just another way to explain the world. It's it is a theology, as it were a way to explain the world as you see it. It is, that's what a muthos or a myth is. It's an explanation. And so we humans have a mythology. We think that everything got here by the process of natural selection. So we see something happening and we our, our, our mythology is that it got here because of a long millions or billions of years of natural selection, making fine-tuned changes to something to produce what we see today. This is our mythology. Now, an actual scientist knows that that's very far-fetched and completely skeletal, as it were, an explanation. But that's the mythology that we we live with in the 20th century. And the ancient people looked at the world around them, just like we do, and tried to explain it. And they came up with gods and goddesses, forces behind the nature that they were seeing. That That's one of the reasons why you see in the Bible, you see these different gods were often associated with different areas, different parts. Of the, the gods of the mountains. Yes, because the gods they had the plains, the, the gods of the valleys. They, they could they, explain they, it. Well, you see this in, in when David Attenborough does a, a narration on a nature film. He uses the word nature and the word evolution Nature does this, and nature selected the leopard to do this, and and he's using this mythology to explain what the, what people are seeing, because when you see the way the world works, you're filled with questions or wonder, and you need something to explain it. Now, the ancient people called these forces or these things that work behind the scenes, they called them gods, 
they gave them names like the muses and like a, a Zeus or Apollo. We tend to think we're so, you know, sophisticated. We give them names like evolution or natural selection or biology, we'll say, or, or, or we, we give them names like that. But it's the same process. One of the com- couple of the common uses that has crept into um, science fiction and literature and Hollywood Whenever you hear nature, often that's a personification of nature that means God. Well, you'll see them shift it. It becomes a capital N nature, not just nature, lowercase, but capital N, capital E evolution. Or another one is the universe. I'm just going to say that. They personify the universe and make the universe into what we would perceive as Christians would say, well, you know, by God's providence, this is what happened to me. Uh, More modern people say, well, the universe led me here. You're right. Yeah, the universe had this in store for me today. If a Christian says, well, this was God's will for me. Oh, my goodness, you're such a superstitious, bumbling idiot. But we can say the universe did it. And we all seem to think we're scientific. And it's a capital U universe. So exactly. This this is the way mythology works. This is the way paganism works. And this is where the idea of a muse is. Now, other- and Hollywood loves this kind of idea because that takes the emphasis off of God. Well, it's certainly not religious in the traditional right. sense. But it, right? it, it helps them move your focus away from God to something else is what it is. And means. yet keep it in the emotional realm. Right. So so this is a muse, Gary. And I mean, uh, Gary, Jerry. And uh, they, it is true, of course, that artists get inspiration, we would say. Now, that's another word in these defining, since you brought it up, or I brought it up. They get their inspiration from other people or from things that they see, you know, they, they see something in, in their daily observations and artistic people sometimes have very broad observation skills. Sometimes they have very focused observation skills. So they see a leaf turned over a certain way and they get inspiration from that for a painting or an idea. Philosophers do the same thing, but they would call this, and and it seems to happen at regular intervals. And then they'll go through a dry period where they have no inspiration. They're just, the writers call it writer's block. They sit down with a piece of paper and a pencil and they go, uh, they have no idea for days what to write. And that's where Ernest, people like Ernest Hemingway, his muse tended to be alcohol and sex, you know, and Hunter Thompson, their, 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 their muses tended to be things like sex and alcohol. And that gets them inspired again to write or to have ideas and so forth. So it's an old idea. Uh, modern people do the same kinds of things. And uh, I guess there's also a rock band for what I'm looking at here. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll just band. tell Jerry, it's Xanadu, X-A-N-A-D-U. It's a 1980 movie. It stars uh, Olivia Newton-John. In 19 what? 80? 1980. 1980. Yeah, 1980 movie. It stars Olivia Newton-John and Gene Kelly. And oh, that's, uh, that's really going back. Well, but it's got some good music in it. I enjoyed the music. So and that's why I that, watched that's it. Right. That's OK. Yeah, that's fine to go back. But it, it, it is it is a person. She is a personification of a muse. OK, she right. will. That's uh, also used in a more casual way just to think about something. She muses yeah. this and that. And so, well, anyway, we have another caller on the line. OK, uh, let's move there. Uh, Laura, are you there? Good morning, Mike and Jerry. Happy New Year. Same to you. Yes, I enjoyed a wonderful vacation back home with my family and friends in New York. Oh, good. I know she. I noticed you came oh, back here. Going to service this morning. I was just wondering. I've seen bits and pieces of images, Jerry, but I, I was just wondering what your view is. On the Holy Spirit in today's world, what Jesus sent him for, and what role he should have in our lives. Okay. Well, uh, it's interesting you bring this up, Laura, because Gary and I were just discussing, uh, just discussing that. this before we went on the air about an, in another context. Uh, we have a, 
On Sunday nights, once a month, we have a devotional at my home. Anybody's welcome. You're welcome, Laura. Anybody's welcome to come, and I'd be glad to give you the address. But we have a, a, a discussion. What time does it start? It's at five o'clock. It'll okay. be five o'clock tonight at my home. Uh, anybody's welcome. We have a you know a Bible study and devotion for about an hour, and then we have refreshments and meet and you know visit with each other. And we we did have done this in the last few years uh, on 12 subjects during the year, 12 topics or 12 uh, divisions of a topic, for example. And I and so last month uh, we decided as a group we were going to talk about the Holy Spirit for this year, what it is, what he does, what it's, what the Bible says about the Holy Spirit, because there's such a such a wide variety of opinions about it. So anyway, that's what we're going to be studying in, in our devotional. If you'd like to uh, know the address, text me 772-260-6120, 772-260-6120. Be glad to have you come. And you don't even have to bring any refreshments. We usually have 10 times as much as we need. So, but anyway, it starts at 5 o'clock the first Sunday of, the, of every month. Uh, but any in any event... Uh, I, I would say, Laura, to answer your question, uh, Gary and I would probably cons- be considered uh, in the broad religious world as cessationists. We believe that the miraculous gifts that are given to individuals by the Holy Spirit, as exemplified by the apostles in, and the gifts in the church at Corinth, have been have ceased, according to 1 Corinthians 13 but that the Holy Spirit continues to work in the world through his word and through the providence of God. So, yes, the Holy Spirit's still at work in the life of the Christian and in the world in general. He just is not doing that work directly in a overtly miraculous fashion as he was through the gifts of, of where the apostles could perform miracles by laying on their hands and so forth. He's not doing that work anymore. And we would could back this up with some different lots of different scriptures but that would be a position called in the religious world cessationism although we just think it's the biblical position as opposed to a non-cessationist who believes that the the miraculous work of the holy spirit continues today so that people are are still receiving the gift of tongues just like they did in the first century let's let's make a point that would include the raising of the dead the miraculous healing of people who are obviously deformed and things like that. And immediate. Not just speaking in tongues. Not just the, speaking the in tongues. gifts include the raising of the dead, uh, handling snakes, poisons, all kind of other things that we don't see, uh, restoring withered limbs and, and, and so forth. And so, no, we do not believe that. And we don't believe from the scriptures that you have to receive the miraculous gift of the spirit and speak in tongues in order to be, be saved. saved. There was specific purpose for the speaking in tongues in the New Testament, that purpose has been fulfilled, and that that uh, the tongues in the New Testament that Paul spoke of in the book of 1 Corinthians, uh, they're not what, if they are what we're seeing today, he was condemning some of that usage of that speaking in tongues. Uh, and so anyway, that's the, that's the overall 30,000 foot view of it, Laura, just to be blunt. So what do you want to um, we would also say, I think, Mike, that to actually know everything about the Holy Spirit that the Bible might bring up questions to, we don't claim that. We don't claim that the Bible tells you everything about Jesus or everything about God the Father or everything about the Holy Spirit that people might want to know. <laughs> no, we, <laughs> we can know more what is it leads you astray about the Holy Spirit than we can about everything he does. And nor are we saying that God can't work. God can do whatever he wants to in the world. But I'm going to have to teach as a teacher what he says in the scriptures that he is doing today and by what means. And I don't believe he's using the same means of uh, communicating his will to people as he did in other times and other ages. He says so in Hebrews chapter 1. Go ahead. Hold on a second. Take a deep breath. If he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, then he changes not. And he also says that in his Bible. Now, he can change his approach, but his nature and his character never change. He is the same yesterday, today, and for 
forever, so everything still works as it always has and it always will. I mean, I always wanted to cry when I, I heard the limitless, the limitedness of the Holy Spirit, and I, I just I so pray that during your time of study and devotion, that He truly reveals who He is and the glory and the life that Jesus said we could have according to 1010. And now that doesn't mean a, oh, I don't know how many zero bank account or anything like that in the finest cars. It means life, that inexplicable joy and unexplainable peace that comes from the presence of God. I mean, that's what Jesus did. He brought that. And if you want to to attribute the uh, feelings of joy and peace to the Holy Spirit, I think that's fine. That's different than saying that those are being achieved miraculously and that God's going to do something against your will uh, with the Holy Spirit to give you peace. I don't think the scriptures teach that part of it, okay? Oh, our will lines up with his will. He doesn't do it. We have free will, and God will never take that. But when you make the choice to walk with him, or you explore, as many people do, then you get that love that's only brought by a continuation. But the Holy Spirit is not a feeling. And I don't find anywhere in the scripture that the Holy Spirit's presence is linked to a particular feeling that we have one way or the other. Could be this feeling or that or no feeling at all. The Holy Spirit works today through the revelation of God's will to man and to man's heart. So anyway, then Gary wants to say, Laura, respond. Then Gary wants to say something. I think. Uh, we need we need Laura. I, I need to. I need to ask some questions from you and I need to talk uh, about some of the things that you said. First of all, yes, Jesus is the same today, yesterday and and so on. But that does not mean that he is his interaction with man has not changed. It has through the time he talked to the patriarchs in the early times. He set up the law of Moses to the Jews. Now he set up Christ as a plan of salvation and the gospel to people. Those things do change. It is purely your assumption that how he works and interacts with man today does not change. That is not found in the Bible. In Hebrews 1, it says in verse 1, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers, by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things. So there is a change in the way God is interacting with man from ancient times to the time of the New Testament. And yet it's true. God doesn't change, but some things do change. His 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 need for us to demonstrate our faith to him for him to see our faith has not changed from the beginning of time no. to today. His character doesn't change, but the way in which he deals with Man. specific nations and peoples and times, that has changed. And Hebrews 1 says it very plainly, that he's changed the way he reveals himself to man and the way he deals with man. Uh, and so now it's through his son. And a little teeny tiny baby who went and experienced all we could to give us that personal, intimate relationship with him. And we can only get better day by day by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy I, Spirit I agree with that. The question is, how does the Holy Spirit do that? The Holy Spirit is not working at using the correct term miraculous, using the Bible definition of miracles or miraculous. The Bible, the Holy Spirit is not working miraculous things when a baby is born into the world or when uh, we as Christians learn God's will and, and change. Those are not miracles. That's Holy Spirit working, but it's not miraculous working against the will of man. What do you mean when you use the term again? You work with. I use the term, I'm sorry, what do I mean when I use the term what? Against the will of man. All right, the, 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 the teaching of Pentecostals often is that you're going to receive, if God wants you to receive the Holy Spirit, he's going to come along and they literally will say, knock you off a log and you're going to receive the Holy Spirit. 
He's going to come in and overwhelm your senses and your mind with his presence. And you're going to receive the Holy Spirit and be saved because God ordained for you to be saved. And the idea is that 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 if you just believe in the Holy Spirit, that that God's going to somehow alter you through through some miraculous, mysterious power so that you're never going to want to do wrong anymore. And what happens, Laura, is that people begin to think that since I love God and I have the Holy Spirit, they begin to think that what I think and what I want to do must be according to the Holy Spirit. If you're praying that God will let you will only help you to do his will, then when you do something, well, that must be uh, that must be according to God's will, because I have the Holy Spirit. Well, I don't think it works that way. The Holy Spirit works on you when you read and believe and understand and meditate on his word. Then that goes into your heart and alters what you think. That's his how he that's how he uses your will, your free will to alter it to become his will. It isn't going to be an overwhelming thing that you're going to sense some experience that's going to overwhelmingly uh, change who you are. Hmm? To the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as soon as my eyes open each day. And I granted another miraculous gift called life and another day. Not that I would rather be home with the Father, because I would. But I know he has me here for a reason. Uh, and I've been raised from the dead in more than one way. He did knock me off my feet in my testimony and come and speak with me and sit down for 91 days, feeding me a Bible that I read from cover to cover in less than 61. Do I understand it all? Never. It's not achievable this side of eternity. But it has made my faith in my Father, in my Savior, and in the power of the Holy Spirit, unshakable, undeniable, and no one will ever tell me that they're not alive. Oh, I don't, I don't doubt anything that you said as far as that the Holy Spirit is present today. He works in people through God's will, through the Word of God, to create change in people. What I'm saying, what Gary and I are saying that we do not believe the scriptures teach is that there's somebody out here, people out here that get this miraculous gift of the spirit and they can raise the dead. They can heal withered limbs. They can heal the blind by laying their hands on them or that when they speak in an unknown gibberish language, that that itself is the speaking of the Holy Spirit. And, and that that's how God leads them. God leads them through his written word today. That's what Ephesians 3 says. When you read, you may understand my knowledge of the mystery. So, so we believe that the Holy Spirit is working today, but not in that direct, overt, miraculous way that he used to work. In the, and, well, he worked that way in specific times in history, not even throughout the whole Bible. We only find this kind of working around the time of Christ and the apostles. And every now and then, one of the prophets would have this ability in the Old and Testament. Around the time, of, around the time of Moses, when he made changes, there were a few things. Yeah. When he made changes, he used these miraculous events to confirm that those changes were being made. I'm going to tell you, my mother-in-law firmly believed exactly what you're. I hear you saying to me. Maybe I don't understand it that you could not resist in any way what the Holy Spirit was doing it's, to you. That's the eye of the tulip, Calvinist yes, tulip, that, irresistible grace. And then that's just not the case. See, the problem with this is, the problem with this is, Sherry. And it's not in the scripture. We we can show you the evidence there. For I, that. Think we, I think I did a lesson about a month ago on Holy Spirit illumination. You can go to the website, wearejustchristians.com. Look up that lesson on Holy Spirit illumination. Here's the problem with it, is that I have all, I know all these people that will tell me, well, I read the Bible or I think this and the Holy Spirit, I got a feeling from the Holy Spirit that this was the correct doctrine, the correct teaching, the correct way to go. And then here's another, and I'm supposed to say, okay, well, whatever. If you got a feeling, if you got a really strong feeling in your heart that the Holy Spirit told you this, then I'm going to go along with that. Then another person comes along over here, and it's just realistic. At the same time, they're getting a whole different feeling about what a passage means. So this passage means this because they'll tell you, 
the Holy Spirit gave me a feeling, and I'm really convicted in my heart by the Holy Spirit that I'm supposed to do this. Well, the Holy Spirit is not telling both of those people to do different things. things. That's the problem that I have. So the feeling that you get about it is not the not the indicator that it's true. It's whether you can verify it by reading the scriptures that you know it's true. Anybody use that word feeling, revelation, understanding, wisdom, knowledge, finding out if they. But they they call their feelings revelation. They get a strong feeling that the Holy Spirit gave them this conviction. They'll call it or a leading. They'll say or. Uh, a bunch of other things that that they'll say. Well, I, I've been. He laid it on my heart. They'll say the Holy Spirit did this. Well, those are feelings, Sherry. I mean, uh, um, Laura. Laura, sorry. Uh, those are feelings that people have, and I don't believe those are the way you verify what God's will is today uh, by that, because they're because they are contradictory from one person to another. All claiming the Holy Spirit gave them this revelation. Victory in all my years of diligent study, which has only been since 2005. My childhood upbringing was that which laid a great foundation. But my day-to-day study of other faiths and other Bible translations and different things up till today shows us mostly in unity. Speaking the same things, understanding the same things, of course, not perfectly. We're human and we're all flawed. But you have something you can test them against. Laura, I want you to turn. I want you to to turn to 1 John chapter 4 and read the first verse. Because John addressed this subject. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, he said, Beloved. Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God. The only way you can test the spirit is against the word. The spirit right. being a teaching Yes. Of course. And that is our guideline, of course. Because he also said, if you keep going, greater is he who lives in us than he who is in the world. Exactly. Okay. But, but that that living in us is not based on how today I feel strong today, so I'm strong, or I feel weak tomorrow, so I'm weak. Uh, that feeling can be more constant in a person who is not thinking that every day that goes by the, that I'm going to get some message from God when I eat my breakfast and read my Bible, I'm going to get a message from God who's going to tell me how to live today. That life that life becomes very unstable. Okay, so you you do get you do read the Bible and you do learn and you do have to meditate on it. And that's the whole that is the Holy Spirit working in you. Even that desire to read the Bible is the Holy Spirit working in you. But he's not working in that direct, miraculous way. And and so the assurance of my faith is not that I have a certain feeling during the day or during the week of strength or weakness one way or the other. The, the assurance of my faith is my belief in the word. Now, there's just no system that humans can devise, given the way that God created the world, to give us assurance all the time, every day, that we know everything we need to know. It just no, There's no system you can devise, whether it's because the Corinthian church the church in the New Testament that we read most about having these miraculous spiritual Holy Spirit gifts was the most unstable and worldly church in the whole Bible that we know of in the whole time of the New Testament. They may not have been, but from what's revealed, they were the most unstable, most divided, most unsure, weakest church in the New Testament. And they were the ones that were so focused on these miraculous gifts that they were they had a hard time functioning. And Paul's trying to show them a better way in that book to live than that. These gifts were necessary then because the Bible had not been fully revealed and completed. But he's trying to point to a time when that won't be the case, which is the time that we live in. So this this idea of a that that's Gary and I's. I'm not speaking to you particularly now, Lord. I'm speaking in generalities. That's why we. Uh, among many other reasons, b- believe that we're we're not ces- we are cessationists, and that these miraculous gifts have been superseded or completed 
by the written revealed word, which we can have much more confidence in, much more stability in, and still have life in Christ and still continue to grow and to, and to uh, try to conquer uh, our sins through the power of Christ. Anyway. Um, and it, it, Laura, if you will go to the scriptures, and maybe Mike and I should do an entire show on this. Maybe we will. There is a tremendous body of evidence that shows us that these things are going to cease. These miraculous gifts, these outside of the realm of, of the way the world works, gifts are going People to stop. People always want God to come along some way and fix their life or fix fix their family. And and uh, I, I, do, I, do, I wish I could do that, my, get that done myself, but, but that's not the answer. God doesn't work that way. He didn't even work that way in ancient times. I gotta go. I can't. Uh, well, listen, it's lovely to lovely to talk to you. It's a great question. Church, he won't move, but he sure does fix my life because I surrender to him daily. I've seen him work miracles, and I'm going to share the love of God with the whole world so they can have a same contagious joy. Okay. Well, I appreciate you calling, Laura, very much. The the idea of God working miracles today is not God doing amazing things. It's a, a miracle was something that was different than the way we define it. And so when Gary and I talk about miracles, we're talking about the kind of miracles where where the apostle could heal a blind man or a man with a withered arm and instantly heal them. Not the fact that someone who used to be an alcoholic has now changed and now is a stable person. That's a wonderful thing. We call it miraculous, maybe, but it isn't a miracle. It's not the same definition of a word. Signs, wonders, miracles, all were given directly through the achieved by the direct operation of the Holy Spirit through the hands of a designated person. And by the laying on of those hands or by other means, that person performed that sign for everybody else. Persons, people making, uh, you know, outstanding changes in their life or things happening to work out well for people. You know, here's the problem with this whole thing, Gary. You want me to stop talking for a well, second? Well, just just one second. Right. I want I, Laura. I want you to turn to John twenty. Well, I don't th- she's not on oh, the air okay. anymore. Well, if she's still listening, Laura, turn to John chapter twenty. I'm going to begin reading in verse thirty, and then I'm going to ask you a question about these verses. This is verse thirty and thirty-one of John twenty. It says, and truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Now, I'm going to ask you, if if those things are still going on today, why were these things written down? Why did they need to be written down? They didn't have to be. Because he he would still have the same signs and wonders going on today. Exactly. And he, he doesn't tell us to point to the new signs and wonders. He tells us to direct people back to the ones he revealed in the New Testament. Exactly. Not the new one that you're supposed to see. Because these signs and wonders today are not provable. They've been debunked over and over again. If you're using the word miracle in the way the Bible uses it. Now, now we often use this word. The trouble is we use the word miracle in a non-biblical way so much in our common speaking. You know, yeah. It's a miracle I've got any hair at all, you know, that kind of thing. And what we mean is it's it's a statistically improbable thing to have. Improbable thing, or it may be an amazing thing, but that's not the definition of the Bible, a miracle in the, miracle in the Bible. And so I, I've, um, you know, we've gone down this road, but being a person with a handicapped limb or two on my body, I would be glad to find someone who could do the miracle to fix those things. And they aren't there. They're not there. They won't even take up the challenge. And even when most recently they did try to take up the challenge to heal my withered limbs, they failed spectacularly. Because and not because they're a bad person, but because God doesn't work that way anymore. Because fixing things like that was not God's purpose. He didn't even heal all the sick and blind people in the first century. Well, if that's his purpose, he failed. He failed at that pur- if that was his purpose. And look at Paul. He Paul, did the ones he did for a specific reason. Yeah, Paul had a thorn in the flesh. That what did he do? He prayed several times 
Jesus said what? My what? Yeah. My faith is sufficient my, to you. My grace is sufficient, sufficient to you. And so the so the point is, yes, the Holy Spirit works today. He's trying though to to uh, lead us to Him in our heart through faith in Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit has the same purpose. He's working through the, re- the purpose of the Holy Spirit, generally speaking, in the broad sense of the word. The purpose of the Holy Spirit was the revelation of God's will, the revelation of the word of God. That has always been his purpose. The gospel message. From the beginning. Even when he was working in creation in Genesis 1, 1 and 2, the spirit of God moving on the face of the waters, this purpose was to reveal God's will to the to the universe to man eventually and so he's re, he's revealing his word now the question is how not whether we don't have a question as to whether the holy spirit is working today the question is by what means is he working and has he chosen to work and to quote the verse to say as many people do that god's the same yesterday today and tomorrow doesn't uh, doesn't touch the subject because it's obvious that the Holy Spirit has chosen different methods and means at various times to reveal the will of God. He's made the choice, not me or you. And so you have to deal with the fact that God has changed his method of revelation. He has changed his some of the specific means of salvation. We can no longer be saved by keeping the law of Moses like they could in the Old Testament because God's changed that. But that doesn't mean that the character and nature of God has changed. So, yes, we go back and look at those things. But that's not an, that's not a sufficient argument to overcome the idea that he says, for example, about these miraculous gifts in 1 Corinthians 13, 8, that they will cease. They will pass away. And so when you have specific scriptural statements that these kind of miraculous manifestations of the Holy Spirit will pass away, you can't use a generic statement that God never changes to overcome that because he's speaking of two speaking of two different things. We're bound. That's how I would look at part of it anyway. Yeah. Mike and I are bound to teach what's in the scripture. We are told that that's well, what that's we have to do. Anyway, yes. We we have to teach what Jesus said. He says that's the standard by which we're going to be we're we're going to be judged. First John five, beginning in verse nine through about thirteen or fourteen, Mike it, it summarizes this whole thing again in a, in a different manner. He says, if we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which he has testified of his son. Okay, that's Jesus did all these things. He, he, God testified about his son, Jesus, while he was on this earth, who did these things. He who believes in the son of God has the witness in himself. He who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed the testimony that God has given of his son. God gave his testimony of his son by the things that Jesus did and said. Exactly. They're recorded in the scripture. And they're recorded. And he said, and he's going to tell them that. And he says in verse 11, and this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. And this is the life in his son. He who has the son has life. He who does not have the son does not have life. These things I have written to you that, who believe in the name of the son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may Continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. All of these things that are written, entire New Testament centers around these things. We're supposed to understand that's part of our faith. That's what God wants to see. I'm sorry, I just I can't put it any other well, way. This is a this is a huge issue in Christianity. And he, and I'm glad Laura brought it up because this is a huge issue as to how the Holy Spirit, how God works in the world. By the way, let me give the numbers again real quick, Gary, before we forget. We forgot about that. 772-340-1590. That's how you reach us, and we still have time to take your call. 772-340-1590 is how you reach us. If you'd like to reach us by text, I'll just give you the one number, 772-260-6120 is the number. Now, this is a, a differentiating issue and um 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, the station says operators are standing by to take your call. <laughs> <laughs> and they indeed are. I uh, just got the message from Ray there at the station. So anyway, you'll, you'll, he'll patch you through to us if you'd like to call this morning. But this is the issue that it separates people. And it's, in some ways, it's a big issue. Other ways, it's really the same thing. Christians generally believe that God works in the world through both providential natural law and it, by his own free volition, he can do whatever he wants to do. I certainly believe that God can do whatever he wants to do in the world. And, and for example, uh, I, I know someone, I met some a friend of mine yesterday, uh, and she tells me that she has now has cancer in her nasal cavity. They've had to do one surgery. She's got radiation co- coming up. And I told her that I would be praying for her, and I assured her that I would do that. Now, I, do I believe that God can heal my friend so that she, the cancer goes away? Yes. And he can do so not only through the operations of the doctors and what, through his will, his providence has enabled the doctor to know, to some degree, how to treat this condition. He can heal it through that, and he can heal it on his own if he wants to. Did I say I'm going to lay my hands on her and heal her because I've got the power of the Holy Spirit to heal her? I don't have that power. Don't know anybody who actually does have that power, except the apostles and the ones who they laid their hands on. That power is not on the earth anymore. And so I didn't promise her that. Can God still heal my friend? Yes. Might he not heal her? Yes, he might not. Well, that's his choice. The, the, so, do the, we believe in the power of God or not? That's the question. Go ahead. Well, even the three in in Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, basically, the king said, "What God is going to deliver you from this fire, fiery furnace?" And you know what their reply to him was? Their reply to him was, "Our God can deliver us. Whether He yeah. will or not, we do not know, but He's we." Able. But we will not bow worship, bow down to your God. So that's what God is looking right. for. This is where we are. We believe that God can do what, he, what we would like to do. He doesn't always do what we would like, but he does what is best. And he reserved for specific times and places uh, of change, as Gary mentioned earlier, this power for certain individuals to have a more direct operation of the Holy Spirit to perform miraculous things as signs, not just to help people live a nice life and to relieve them of stress or burdens, but they were given as signs to heal people. That that poor man there that John met, uh, uh, in um, that the apostles met in Acts 3, sitting at that gate, he wasn't the only poor person sitting there. He's the one they interacted with that day. And Peter said, you know, silver and gold have I none, but what I have I'll give to you. And he healed this man. That was a sign to everybody around that those apostles had the word of God and they ought to be listened to. He didn't intend to heal everybody there. That wasn't the purpose, but that was a direct operation of the Holy Spirit. Now, the real issue comes in here. And and basically, when Jesus healed the blind man, it's the same thing. But that's the that's the testimony that John was talking about in First John right. one about Jesus. That there, was testimony. There's another whole aspect of this issue that we haven't touched on yet. I'm, I'm a bit Laura. That well, Laura didn't bring it up. She brought up the general subject, and I appreciate that. But the other issue is the direct operation of the Holy Spirit in salvation itself. Calvin, in his opposition to Roman Catholicism, uh, Calvin taught that in the direct operation of the Holy Spirit, the tulip, total hereditary depravity, uh, I've got the U, uh, oh my goodness, now my brain is just locked up, unconditional Atonement. atonement. Limit, limited atonements at the L. I is irresistible grace, and P is first branch of the saints. And I'll, my brain locked up for a second there. But anyway, in teaching this, what he was saying is man can do nothing at all in any aspect whatsoever to save himself because he is 
totally hereditarily depraved. He can't even want read the Bible, understand it. He can't do anything because he's wicked. Every thought of his heart is wicked. And even and if he thinks that there's some thought of his heart that isn't wicked, that's wicked. You see, that's how bad man is. And that's where that's where Calvin started. And so the God has to come along and decide, I'm going to save this person, unconditional election. That's the you. God has to come along yep. and decide, I'm saving this person, and I'm not saving this person. And so people will pray because they believe that they're lost. They can't, they can't read the Bible. They can't obey the Bible. They can't understand anything about it until God gives them the irresistible grace of the Holy Spirit. So they got to have an experience, an, a miraculous experience of God's presence and grace to say, I'm saving you. So the, the God directly, miraculously saves every individual that will be saved by the direct operation of the Holy Spirit. And that this is now morphed into, in our generation, that the evidence of this is the miraculous speaking in tongues and so forth. That's the evidence that God has actually saved you. So you could be a devout person. You could study the scriptures. You could turn your heart to God. You can meditate upon his will. You can obey everything you know to obey in the New Testament and serve to serve him. And you're still lost because you haven't received this unconditional election and this outpouring of irresistible grace. Now, that's what I mean fundamentally by the direct operation of the Holy Spirit. I believe the Holy Spirit works in the salvation of man, but he works on man's heart through the understanding and reading and the exposure to his word. I think he even works in providence, Gary, to bring about the exposure of people to the word so they have a chance to respond or not. They, they, they're given opportunities to respond. And I've told this story before. Uh, time is probably slipping away here. And you may want to jump in, Gary. But I, I was in Key West doing door-to-door -door work, knocking on doors with my Bible, talking to people about the gospel some years ago, knocking on doors. And I come along, and here's a fellow sitting on his, his beautiful home there. He's elevated. There's a, a, a picket, uh, a iron wrought iron fence, and he's got his pool and his umbrella, big mansion behind that. And this fellow sees me walk up close to his gate, sitting there with, with his drink on the table. And he sees the Bible in my hand, I'm pretty sure. Walk, look what he's looking at. And he just reaches up with his hand and waves me on. He just waves me past. Go. Go away. Okay? So, I walk, I just nodded, said hi, and walked on away from him. Now, was that did was that the providence of God sending someone to him to teach him the gospel? It was. He didn't arrange it. I didn't really arrange it. I met him by the providence of God, and he turned me away. Is there a time coming when he will plead to God? Well, I never knew what to do to be saved. And God can say, well, I sent you this fat old preacher one time, and you waved him away. Well, fat young preacher then. And you <laughs> waved him on because you didn't want to be bothered that day. You see, God uses the Holy Spirit and his providence to arrange for us to even hear the gospel, much less gives us capacities to understand, uh, friends who love us, who encourage us. And then we're going to respond or not, and then... When the, when we do obey God's will, we receive the Holy Spirit. We receive the help from God to keep doing what's right, to keep serving God. So, yes, we believe in the Holy Spirit working. Just not that direct way that John Calvin did, that you're going to sit there one day, even if you don't want to, and God's going to knock you off the log and save you because you're going to receive the Holy Spirit and you can't help it. That's not what the Bible teaches. That's what modern religion teaches. People have bought into it. Because, that's what I mean by feelings, Gary. Well, because it relieves them of the responsibility. Yes, and then they can rely on that feeling, and they keep trying to get the feeling back. That's why most religious services often turn into uh, rock concerts, because we keep, they keep trying to get that feeling back, because the feeling is what they think is somehow saving them. And, of course, that isn't true. Well, we got a few minutes left, 772-340-1590, 772-340-1590. Give us a call. We'll have a conversation with you this morning. Maybe you want to comment about this negatively or positively. Maybe you want a suggestion for a future show and so forth. Let us know. We'd be glad to hear from you. Well, I, I just I just keep coming back to this this passage, Mike, and it's, it's Hebrews 11 and verse 6. It says, but without faith, it is impossible to please him, God. 
For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Now, if we don't have the capacity to seek God at all, which is what Calvinism teaches, God just lied to us. And in Joshua, Joshua says, choose this day whom you will serve. Well, they will say he's, he created some people who he knew would serve him. Other people he created just to be destroyed. And they're using Romans 11 or 9 there. And I we can talk about that passage. But they're using it that way, that God just made some people like cannon fodder, other people he intended to save. And so the gospel is only – they will. T- what's with the limited atonement is, Gary, is that when Christ went to the cross, he did not die for all men. He, that's what people think it means. When you read the Bible, you get the impression that Christ died for all men. The Calvinist believes, which is the huge chunk of modern Protestantism in various forms, that he only, that died, he only for died for the elect. It's limited atonement. He only died for the ones that God chose to save. He did not die for anybody else. So if you happen to be one of the non-elect, which most people are, then Christ didn't come for you. He didn't die for you. There's not a thing you can do to be saved. You can get religious feelings and all that, but you cannot be saved because you're not one. So that's why people seek the feeling of the Holy Spirit so much, Gary, when they're taught this in in its various forms. They're seeking that experience of the Holy Spirit because that's the evidence to them that they are one of the elect. It's like Jehovah's Witness in 144,000. That's how, well, the 144,000 going to heaven. Well, they all want to be in the 144,000. But, man, it's been filled up a long time ago, you know. It's been filled up a long time ago. You modern witnesses are out of luck. You're just in the great multitude. And you're going to get stuck on earth here, not in heaven, because you're in the great multitude, not in the. But it's, it's are you in the elect or not? Well, the way you know is because you've got the direct, the feeling and the direct operation of the Holy Spirit to show you that, yes, I am one of the elect. Well, I just keep coming back to the plain and simple reading of Joshua. If, if, if well, I. If, to choose? Who's choosing? Well, if God chose you, then you can choose him. That's the idea, what they would say, Gary. Yeah, but basically, that's but that's not the way it's written. Well, that's not, not the way it comes across. You can't come away from, with this doctrine of Calvinism from a plain reading of many of these scriptures. There, there's an allusion to it, and I understand the feeling that some people seem to be born to be bad, you know, and some people are born to be good, but that doesn't justify this teaching of. Um, that all that all men are lost. God only chose certain people to be saved. Christ came and died for all men, and then all men are responsible to seek Him. Do they? Yes. No. God gives the Holy Spirit into the world, puts it in the world, into His providence and nature, into all good things. He's trying to lead all men to Christ, but they will not come. They will not hear, and so that's why most will be lost. It isn't because God doesn't want them to be saved. He desires. All men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Okay, and second, First Timothy desires all men to be saved. First, First Timothy two nine and come to a knowledge of the truth. That's his will. He's not. Peter says in Second Peter three, he is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Well, it's interesting that he says in verse seven, right after Hebrews eleven six, by faith Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen moved with godly fear to prepare the ark for the saving of his household by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness of which now it doesn't say that noah was moved by the holy spirit it says it was noah was moved by godly fear oh the fear of the fear of god mm-hmm. now is that is that the holy spirit? spirit i believe it is the holy spirit in that in an indirect way yes in the indirect way because but god's spirit is communicating god's will Yes. That's the whole point. God's spirit communicates with God's will. The Holy Spirit warned God, warned Noah. But God had but Noah had fear of God and understanding right. that he exercised. And I'm not going to separate the spirit from God. Anyway, our time is gone this morning. We really appreciate you listening. Sorry about that. That's okay. We're we're right on the edge here. Thank you, Gary, for all the communication this morning. Thank you, Laura, for calling and Jerry. We really appreciate it. And hope you can tune in again next week. We'd be here at the same time, 9 o'clock Eastern. So, in other words, we'd like to invite you to our services at 2196 Southwest Savona Boulevard, 2196 Southwest Savona Boulevard. 
we'd like you to, to invite you 10, 11, and, and 7.30 on Wednesday night. Take a look at our website, which is wearejustchristians.com. So until next week, may God bless you, and we hope to see you then. Thank you. You've been listening to We Are Just Christians live from Savona Church in Port St. Lucie. On WPSL, Port St. Lucie.